Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Success 101, and I'm really both uh, encouraged and excited to bring you this topic today. I've been compiling several things here lately, almost a mashup, so to speak, here of different books or different articles that were written on this idea of facing fears and then coupling that or mashing that up with man's search for meaning. So some of you, just by the title, probably know where I'm going with that as far as Viktor Frankl's book in Man's Search for Meaning that I was, you know, a little bit unaware of. I'd heard of it before, really didn't know what it was or what it was about. And just really fascinating uh, the, the story there of his life. And uh, we won't, you know, we'll scratch the surface here today, right? But I want to get into this idea of getting out of this mental, um, you know, this mental wiring of our brain, this, this learning of our brain that we have to unlearn, so to speak, and uh, I think just from the, the comments I've gotten from you guys, this is going to be really helpful for some of you that are saying, hey, I just want to get off to a really good start at the first of the year. I want to change some things in my life. I want to be better than what I'm being. I want to work toward my goals and conquer my fears and all those sort of things. And that's, that was my inspiration here for bringing this together. But I'm going to talk about uh, Mark Batterson, uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, his book, which is awesome. I would, I would recommend that to every single person on um, or anybody, right, but every single person on this uh, podcast list that's listening to this, and then also a couple of other things. So we'll dive in uh, on that first, though. So Mark Batterson, he's the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and he talks about this fascinating story, Samuel, sorry, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 23, 20 through 21. There is a story, just a brief excerpt in there about Benaiah, who I didn't know anything about this character, Benaiah, right? Who, who is he? And it's so interesting um, that there's just this little sliver of information there, and then it just moves on. But what it says is just absolutely fascinating. So we've talked about, uh, you know, my goal here, and I even say it at the beginning of each podcast, my goal is to help you maximize your full potential. So we talk about things that are going to do that, whether it's habits, rest, sleep, nutrition, diet, exercise, setting goals, setting, um, you know, rewiring of your brain, as we're talking about a little bit this morning, but uh, optimistic thoughts, all those things. But what are you doing? How are you, you know, how are you doing with that? And this was really the the premise of his book was taking this uh, this verse in scripture here and tying it to how we are performing out there each day and how we're facing our fears. And I think we throw that around too easily, guys. To be honest with you, I think all of us would admit that facing your fears is going to sharpen you more than being comfortable your whole life and not really stretching yourself. But are you doing that? Check in with yourself there this morning. What are you doing? What is the greatest fear you have in your life right now when it comes to reaching your maximum potential every single day? And what are you doing with it? Are you facing it head on? Are you kind of sort of playing in the shallow end, right, rather than really getting down in the deep end and getting messy with it? Uh, or are you facing it head on? And if you are, you know, I commend you for that. There's really no, there's really no middle ground there. It's either you're facing it head on and you're doing things to uh, to get further and further uh, into that each day, or you're kind of just tiptoeing around it, or maybe running far, far away from it. But he says in this uh, in his book many things on facing fear, and let's just let's dive in first to the story of Benaiah. We talk about uh, you've heard me mention Spartan Up, you've heard me mention Unbeatable Mind by Mark Devine. You know these uh, guys that are athletic, Iron Men, Navy SEALs. Delta Force, Commando Force, you know, those sort of things. I think Benaiah would uh, would 
would probably whip these guys if I had to if I had to put them head to head. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 23, 20 through 21. Fascinating to me. It says, Benaiah struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion inside a pit on a snowy day. He also killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall, who had a spear in his hand. But he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from his hand and killed him with his own spear. Okay, did you unpackage all of that? I also want you to notice that he's going to these things. He's not running away from them. He's going to them. So, I don't know the background of, you know, the two sons of Ariel and why he struck them down, okay? But, it, you know, we're, we're quickly introduced to the fact that he's striking down some people here. So he's, you know, he's, he's on the hunt, right? But listen to this. I'll repeat it again. He also went down and killed a lion. He went down and killed a lion, not only in a pit, but on a snowy day, right? Why not just pick a snowy day and make it even harder? He killed an Egyptian, a great man of stature, five cubits tall. I guess you can Google what a cubit is there. But he had a spear in his hand. But I went down to him with a club. So first of all, I'm like, okay, he's going down to these things. Goes down to a lion in a pit on a snowy day. I, you know, I'm going I'm to tuck tail and run from a lion, right? I mean, that's that's horribly scary to me, just being faced with a, a lion. Um, then he went down to this this tall, apparently this really tall Egyptian, killed him with his own spear, and he had a club in his hand. That's like bringing a knife to a gunfight, I think, right? Um, you know, not only are you going to add insult to injury by by going to this person that has a spear, which if somebody has a spear, by the way, it might as well be a line to me. I mean, I, that I'm not walking to that person, especially if I have a club in my hand. Not really too sure what I'm going to do with that. But he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going down there to him. And not only am I going down there with a club, I'm not even going to use the club. I'm going to take his spear instead, and I'm going to kill him with that. So, yeah, uh, man's man, right? I mean, I, I don't want to face Badai anywhere. And that's pretty much it. I mean, it goes on in a couple of verses later to say that he was put in charge of the bodyguard of Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, but then that's it. That, that's To my knowledge, that's all we hear about him. And so a fascinating book, Mark Batterson goes into this concept. He says, you know, as I look back on my own life, I recognize this simple truth. The greatest opportunities were the scariest lines in my life. But taking no risks really is the greatest risk of all. So, guys, how are you, you know, how are you doing on that? How are you living life to the fullest? How are you moving toward some version of living life to the fullest? And are you looking at the greatest opportunities as the scariest lines? Or do you have that phrase in your mind about fears being scary and stretching us, but really never doing a lot with it. I think it's I think it's easy speak to be able to say that over and over and not do a whole lot with it. Um, but you know, don't let these mental lines, as Mark Batterson calls it, keep you from experiencing everything that God has to offer. Uh, direct quote from the book there. And you know, I think we could all say that, right? The greatest breakthroughs in our life are when we decide to push through the fear. Those defining moments. Those are going to double, as he says, as the scariest decisions, though. But you have to face those fears, and you've got to get in the process of unlearning them. So he goes into this really neat concept of unlearning. And he says, almost like a hard drive with a virus, our minds have been infected. Irrational fears and misconceptions keep us from operating the way that we were designed to. And if those fears aren't uninstalled, 
they will undermine everything we do and everything we push toward. Half of learning is learning, but the other half is unlearning. And unfortunately, unlearning is twice as hard as learning. It is harder to get those old thoughts out of your mind than to get new thoughts into your mind and hard lock and wire them in. So just as a computer hard drive needs to be defragmented from time to time, our minds need to be defragmented our entire lives. So guys, how do we get ourselves out of this mental pit that we've gotten into? How do we rewire our brain for this new concept of, or the new concepts we're trying to uh, learn in this unlearning stage? And you know, there's, there's a lot of research behind that. I've really been blown away in the last year that you know, you've heard me say it many times, but our brains are elastic. Our brains can grow new gray matter even as we get older. We can slow down the aging process and actually reverse the aging process with our brain sometimes by just reading and learning. And uh, he goes into this concept as well that I really love. He's talking about this you know, in the neuro- neurological context of this. He says, Doctors Amy Carney and Leslie Ungerleiter at the National Institute of Mental Health did a study asking students to perform a simple motor task, a finger-tapping exercise. So they tapped out this pattern uh, with their finger. I'm not really sure what it was. Uh, But as they tapped, the doctors conducted an MRI to identify what part of the brain was being activated. The students then practiced the finger-tapping exercise every single day for four weeks. And at the end of the four weeks, the brain scan was repeated. And in each instance, not in one or two, not in half the group, in every single person, it revealed that the area of the brain involved in the tapping had expanded. That simple finger tapping exercise, guys, literally recruited new nerve cells. It rewired their uh, neuronal connections, I guess, uh, as, as the book says it here. So think about that. Just a simple finger tapping exercise, learning this pattern that the students had never done before, grew, basically grew gray matter in their brain. The area of their brain involved in that, the area that lit up that was involved in that had expanded. That's fascinating to me. So when you face your fears, we know that unlearning is going to require a lot more than just rewiring our brains. We've got to take that new knowledge and actually move toward our fears. We can get all this head knowledge about facing fears and how you know facing fears are going to help us and we can even rewire our brain to these positive thoughts that you know allow us to handle stress and fear a lot better but you know there's over 2,000 researchers say nowadays there's over 2,000 classified fears out there and you can have all the knowledge about those fears that you want and how to overcome them but unless you move forward if you just rewire your brain and sit there you've accomplished nothing except to really you know really be equipped to do it and not do anything about it we've got to move forward as Benaiah did and face our fears and uh, which, I don't know, it didn't sound like he was very fearful there, but I'm, I'm sure he was, right? We're all human. There has to be a, a part of him that was extremely fearful, especially with a lion in a pit on a snowy day, by the way. Um, you know, psychiatrists show, this was fascinating to me as well, psychiatrists show that we are only born with two fears, the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Think about that. The fear of loud noises, that's, you know, that doesn't have to be learned from, you know, There's times where I'm doing something really loud and our four-month-old, you know, just freaks out. You know, I uh, I was showing my kids how you can take a belt last night, took my belt off, and then I, like, you know, kind of folded it over, and I showed them how you could, like, you know, bend the ends of the belt together and make it expand and then just, like, stretch it really fast and pop it loud. And my four-year-old sitting right there, or four-month-old sitting right there underneath me and just 
freaks, <laughs> freaks out. So that didn't have to be taught, right? We, we didn't have to go through a lot of experiences of loud noises to know that we're scared by those. We also don't have to go through a lot of experiences with falling to know that if we start to fall, our human instinct is to grab onto something really quickly, right? But every other fear out there, every other fear has been, uh, you know, has been learned, right? Because we're only born with those other two. So what that means is, is that if every other fear is learned, the more important thing is that means that every other fear can be unlearned. But you've got, you've just got to get yourself there. You've got to face those fears. So one of the greatest things, guys, we can do, as he says in the book, is we can come face-to-face with our fears. But do you really believe that? I think for a lot of us, we can say that out loud, but do we really believe that if we had to get up tomorrow and make the choice to come face-to-face with our fears, our greatest, um, you know, whatever it is that just really kind of gets you out there that you're fearful of, do you believe you could grow more when you're faced with those? Are you playing it safe and avoiding difficulty your entire life? So part of this is tackling fears. Part of this is rewiring your brain that I'm talking about today. But, you know, we are, uh, all of us are inspired by people who face their fears and chase their dreams. And what we fail to realize a lot of times, he says, is that they are no different than us. They have just figured out a way to move forward toward that fear and think differently about it. So impossible odds are going to set the stage for amazing things to happen And we all know the greatest breakthroughs in our life are going to happen when we push through that fear and we reach those scariest decisions. We're face-to-face with our fears, and we begin the process of unlearning them. And so his question in the book is, how are you living your life? Are you living in a way that is worth telling stories about, right? I'm no Benaiah. I'm I'm far from it, right? But what about you? Is your life worth telling stories about and opportunities that oftentimes look like insurmountable obstacles. You know, if we're going to take advantage of those, we've got to see problems in a new way. We've got to get out of this pit of, you know, as Zig Ziglar calls it, stinking thinking. Uh, You know, our biggest problems might really just start looking like our greatest opportunities if we do that. And lion chasers, he says, are not afraid of lifelong regrets. I mean, I'm sorry, lion chasers are more afraid of lifelong regrets than temporary uncertainty and embracing uncertainty is one of the greatest dimensions of faith. Um, most of us are part coward and part daredevil, he says, where the coward is consistently whispering, better be safe than sorry. You know, you get that little voice, better be safe than sorry, where the daredevil is whispering, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, the part in Proverbs as well, Proverbs 23, 7, where it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're fearful of, whatever we're worried about, whatever we're shying away from or running away from, that so is he, right? That's what makes us, um, that's what makes us who we are. So shifting here to a similar concept, but just a different, um, different topic, Donald Miller uh, author out there has uh, produced some great books, but he talks about Viktor Frankl. So we're shifting to uh, man's search for meaning here. And in 1942, psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, if you don't know anything about him, he went with his parents and his pregnant wife, and they were taken by Nazi soldiers into concentration camps where his family would eventually be killed. Somehow he survived the camps. He wasn't killed with them, uh, including Auschwitz. He was at, uh, at, at Auschwitz in some of the most dire human circumstances, and he realized kind of this theory for man's need for meaning and, and this theory that would contend, um, you know, Sigmund Freud, who was alive at the time and posting that man's primary desire was not for meaning, but for pleasure. 
So he's, you know, he's in this concentration camp, World War II, 1942, and Sigmund Freud's out there saying, hey, we're all meant for pleasure. We're all meant to seek pleasure. We're all here for, you know, kind of the hedonists that I've talked about in uh, Tal Ben-Shahar's book, uh, Happier. And we're all, we're all just here to, you know, enjoy everything. And he's saying, no, that's, that's absolutely not correct. And he went on this, you know, for the rest of his life, he's on this lifelong mission to say, look, man's need is for meaning. Man's need is to seek a, a power higher than himself. And, of course, he's getting into uh, more of a uh, spiritual, more of a godly realm there. Um, but, you know, he's in these concentration camps, and he says, look, I realize that no matter what amount of torture was applied to me or anyone else, you know, none of that can keep a person from living a fulfilling life. If they only had three elements working for them, and he says they, those are a project in which they could contribute, a person to love, and a worthy explanation for their suffering. So, you know, nothing can keep you from living a fulfilling life if you have three elements working for you. A project in which they can contribute. So something that you are giving of yourself, kind of a, you know, being a servant toward that. A person to love, someone, you know, we're all created and we're all wired to be, you know, relational beings. Uh, and a worthy explanation for suffering that you're going through. So there's a lot more, obviously, I'm scratching, no, I'm not even really scratching the surface here, but there's a lot more in the book. I would encourage you guys to get it. Um, but, you know, his finding, uh, Donald Miller says, interestingly, it mirrors the teacher's search uh, for meaning captured in Ecclesiastes. So I told you guys lately I've been reading Ecclesiastes, and so the teacher, quote-unquote, argued that one should find enjoyment in his work and in his, and in his wife, and that one should fear God, and that while technically meaning is hard to prove, experientially it is possible with this, you know, with this framework where it's like, hey, there, you know, one should find enjoyment in his work, in his life, in his wife, and one should fear God. And if you've got that going toward your, you know, toward you, as Viktor Frankl says, and as basically as Ecclesiastes says, kind of reading between the lines there, uh, you can get into this framework of saying, look, we are, we are searching for meaning. It's not about just pleasure and what's going to make us happy because pleasure is oftentimes fleeting. Happiness is fleeting. So, you know, frankly, uh, Frankl argues that meaning is experiential and with these three elements you've got a recipe um if if you know you follow that and you say look suffering fuels a cycle uh, you know or some people might say suffering fuels a cycle of meaninglessness out there and he says hey to suffer for the sake of something worthwhile to suffer for a power bigger than yourself that you're going toward that's going to provide a huge sense of meaning in uh to your life so again not not diving too deep into the details though there i would encourage you guys to go and get the book because it's really fascinating. And uh, what it did was it encouraged me to also read uh, Brian Johnson's excerpt on this, the, some notes that he put together on it, which basically um, you know goes further into this, this rewiring of the brain, and then this also this deep, different thought where you're kind of reversing your tracks and saying, look, I am looking for a deeper meaning. And part of that's going to be to face your fears. Part of it's going to be to move you to a new chapter of life where you're in a different thinking state to maximize your full potential, as I mentioned earlier. But how are you doing on both of those? How are you searching for uh, a meaning in your life that's outside of just pleasure and happiness, which is fleeting? How are you rewiring your brain to face fears? Um, you know, journal that out. Write it down. Put, you know, just spend an hour in silence and just spend some time thinking through questions on both of those and what your greatest obstacle is right now and how really you can push forward through that fear and how you can push forward toward uh, greater meaning. So let's dive into some notes on the book here, Man's Search for Meaning, and uh, I think you're going to find this pretty fascinating. 
So as I mentioned, Viktor Frankl, he goes into these concentration camps as a, uh, as a psychiatrist, and he comes out uh, after losing his family and being tortured and being in prison for so long. He comes out uh, transformed, and he creates this idea called logotherapy, which really um, I'll kind of dive into here in a second, but, but really set him on a new course for life. Uh, again, just kind of back to what led to this book and finding meaning. But he's got a, a few uh, key concepts here where he says, number one, you know, it's it's the idea that anything can happen to us. Anything can be taken from us, but one remaining thing, as I mentioned, that is our freedom to choose how we respond to a situation. Remember, this is a guy that survived Auschwitz. This is a guy that survived the, the horrors of the Holocaust, Right. But he also says this idea, you know, that we're born with a mission to fulfill. We're born with a destiny. We're born to have a purpose. And it's not really meant to have a pleasure, how to have a chill lifestyle, but how can we give ourselves the most fulfilling path in life or put ourselves on the most fulfilling path and move toward our fears, conquer those fears. And he goes into this idea of conquering your attitude or defeating your attitude, and he says everything can be taken from a man but one thing. This is a direct quote out of the the book. He says this is the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And that's huge for us, guys. We've got to learn how to control the context of our consciousness. We've got to learn how to master our thoughts in any given situation, in any stressful situation. I mean, guys, this is, this is a guy that went through, you know, tragedy like we can't imagine and saw horrors that we can't imagine. How, you know, how he made it out or how anyone made it out of that, uh, especially with his whole family being killed, uh, I'm not sure. But we've got to realize that nobody, as he says, can ever force us or can take away that freedom to choose how to respond to any situation. That is within us to choose. Stephen Covey talks about this as well in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he said, you know, rule number one is the rule of being proactive. You can be reactive and have something happen to you, you know, stimulus response, you know, so you're tired, therefore you're grumpy, or you, you can be proactive and you can take life by the horn, so to speak. Something happens to us and we choose our response. We're responsible. We're, res- we're responsible. We're response-able. Something happens and then we are able to deal with it. We turn on those response triggers in our life. And whatever it is, we use it as an opportunity to act differently than I would say you know, general population does out there. We can choose our response. That's a huge idea, and this book expands on it uh, even more. Again, this idea of logotherapy, where he talks about just choosing your own, um, choosing your own thoughts, and no one can take that away from you. But you've got to be trained up mentally, right? The other idea he talks about is your potential is uh, this this potential of meaning, right? He says what man actually needs needs is striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. What he needs is to take charge of tension at any cost and respond to the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. So we talked about this in, um, or I talked about this with Tal Ben-Shahar on Happier. You know, it's this idea that if you want to you hold the tension really tight 
you want to hold the tension really tight on the line between our ideal life, our ideal who we are, where we're trying to get to, and our current reality. There's this dynamic tension that he talks about with this current reality that we're in and this idea of really where we want to be. And a lot of times we make the mistake of wanting to get rid of this tension. We get stressed out. It's tough. It's hard. We want a tensionless state. We want things to be relaxed and easy. And while there is plenty of time that we have to have that, we have to de-stress, we have to be relaxed, but that's only part of the story, and it's a very small part of the story. You know, we want to keep that tension tight. We want to be in our current reality right now. We want to be present. We want to be here. We want to be fully engaged, but we also have to keep that tension tight on where we're trying to go, and that's the dynamic tension that he talks about, and most people keep that line pretty loose because why holding that tension is tight. Holding the focus on your goal and where you're trying to go go and your maximum ideal you're trying to get to is very hard. It's very hard to stay focused on certain things, especially if it's fears or if it's stresses or anxiety that's you know that's part of the journey. It's very hard to stay focused. But the people who uh, you know the people who you maybe aspire after, or the done things in their life you aspire after, and the person you want to be really has to stay tight on that line. Uh, Brian Johnson says one of the biggest ideas he's ever seen is the introduction of this book, Man's Search for Meaning. He says success must ensue from a commitment to something bigger than ourselves. And so there's this, uh, this interview or this talk that uh, Brian Johnson and John Mackey, uh, CEO and creator of Whole Foods, they're having this you know kind of somewhat business talk or life talk, and they're talking about these ideals. You know, John Mackey's talking about the ideals he used to build whole foods or this concept around whole foods and they get into this concept of uh, Victor Frankel and so there's a a quote written down in the journal that uh, Brian Johnson had with him and he just said look on the first page of the journal he's got it there and he says look it was one of those kind of goosebump moments where they're talking about Victor Frankel and he reads this quote where he says uh, out of the book where he says again and again I therefore admonish my students in Europe and America, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued, it must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended consequence, unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness must happen. And the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I want you to listen to what your conscious commands you to do and go on, carry it out to the best of your knowledge. Then you will live to see that in the long run, In the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you haven't forgotten to think, precisely because you have forgotten to think about it. So I read that very slowly for you there, if you couldn't tell, because I want, it's kind of a challenging uh, phrase there, but success cannot be pursued. It must be ensued by commitment to something bigger than ourselves. And he talks about this again and again, over and over in the book. But what is it? Check in on that, guys. What is it that you're committed to? What do you want more than anything? And when you go after success and you get a certain amount of success, yeah, that can be you know okay for a while, but we want this deep connection. 
to a higher source. What is it that your purpose is in life? What is it that your meaning is in life? What has God put you here to do? And as we commit to this thing that's bigger than us, right, surrender and sacrifice and moving into our fears because the why is now uh, bigger than we ever imagined and it allows us to move into those fears, right? allows us to move into our mission. He talks about that in the book, how everyone has a mission. What is it that you're wired for? What are you here for? Check in with yourself on that. What is it that you're doing on that that's going to allow you to rewire your brain, as Mark Batterson talks about, to you know reset your path in life, as Viktor Frankl did. Those things are, are only going to happen by us not really you know chasing after success, but by chasing after a bigger why, chasing after a bigger meaning for what it is that we're trying to do and therefore with a big enough why you will find a way to do it you will find a way to push through those fears with a big enough why those fears are going to pale in comparison it still may not be easy right we still may struggle but we're going to be able to push through um, whereas we may have just been paralyzed before and the book goes in to talk about that just a little bit more just as in a pit with a lion on a snowy day goes on to talk about your fears and how to rewire your brain as well uh, last point of the book, he says, uh, you know, kind of goes back to this why. Uh, you know, if you have a strong enough why, you can endure any how. He also says, Viktor Frankl also says, what is to give light must endure the burning. So think about that. I've heard several quotes like that before, and really it just means, hey, if we're going, if we're going to give our highest selves to the world, if we're going to surrender and we're going to push forward, and we're going to defeat these fears, and we're going to rewire our brains and overcome, there's going to be that tension. There's going to be that burning. There's going to be that sharpening. Just as fire sharpens metal, what is going to give light eventually must go through the burning first. And so I hope you enjoyed that. There's so much more that I could dig in here, but just for the sake of time and, um, you know, I know some of you listening to these things have a very short amount of time each day to listen to these. And, um, you know, I would just say think about those things just to sum all of this up. Beniah, go back to the story of Beniah. What is he doing? He's going into these situations where he's having to challenge fear, you know, in its face. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm have to believe that there's some fear there somewhere, even though, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. But he's going into that and uh, accomplishing the things that he's going to accomplish. And he just gives us, again, that little snippet of that. So he's going in to face his fears and taking them head on. And as Mark Batterson says, until we start wiring our brains differently, until we start facing fears and unlearning, which is a lot harder than learning, right? Until we start facing those fears, until we realize that we're only born with two fears, and that's loud noises and fear of falling, and that everything else we're scared of, we have learned over time through experiences. Through experience, you know, most of it's negative, unfortunately, but we have learned those fears and more importantly the fact that we know we've learned those fears we also know we can unlearn those fears so go get uh in a pit with a lion on a snowy day embrace fear embrace you know being a lion chaser so to speak embrace the daredevil part of you where it says nothing ventured nothing gained and just know as a man thinks in his heart so is he so if we want to be brave if we want to be um you know just really pushing the envelope on greater Whatever it is that you're chasing after, we have to get these fears out of the way, but that doesn't just come overnight. And then second point here, just think about Viktor Frankl. Uh, just received some of the, the harshest treatment that any of us would ever have to go through. We can't even imagine. Lost his family and just comes out and says, hey, this life is not about pleasure. Not at all. This life is about um, you know finding meaning in life. 
a higher higher meaning than yourself that's going to allow you to push forward and really you choose how to respond in situations no matter what's stripped of you no matter what you go through no one can take away your freedom of choosing how you respond in situations and you know it uh, again goes back to ecclesiastes you know it's you know find enjoyment in your work find enjoyment in your wife and find enjoyment in uh, and fearing God. So, you know, Viktor Frankl basically said similar things. A project which you could contribute, a person to love, and a worthy explanation for suffering. So that goes into that whole idea of finding enjoyment in work, finding enjoyment in a wife, or relationships even, I would say, as it talks about also in Ecclesiastes, and fearing God. It goes right along hand in hand. And, you know, you will move forward and experience a greater meaning if your why is big enough. So worthwhile stuff, suffering is going to stand in... Uh, you know, co- complete contrast to someone in our American culture that's obsessed with comfort, that's obsessed with uh, not keeping that tension line tight between where you are now and where you're trying to go. And, you know, check in on that, guys. I'll say it over and over again. We can say that we know fear is going to sharpen us, but are you really believing that? Are you really living that in your life? Uh, man search for meaning, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, Go get both of those. Read them. You're going to dive way deeper than what I've been able to cover here, but I hope this has been helpful. Thanks so much, guys.